Oh god, no, the lads are striking again, my dear boy! <laughs> what the fuck are you on? Unionism, my boy! <laughs> Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we pick two dead people and talk about their lives. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, James D. Say hi, James. Did it hurt, Aaron? What? Did it hurt when you fell from heaven? I didn't fall from heaven, bitch. <laughs> Fine. We... <laughs> We hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down these characters from the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that James and I will do our amateurish best to give a basic account of the major events in these people's lives and how they responded to them. We also hope to give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're going to try anyway. So, James, who do we have this week? Hold up! It feels so different recording when I'm not sick. I've yeah. gotten so used to recording sick that recording not sick feels like heaven. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first episode that we've ever recorded that you aren't sick. Yes, this is the very first episode we've ever recorded where Modern I wasn't medicine. sick off my ass. <laughs> Thanks, Obama. Yes, that's right. So anyway, uh, James, who do we have this week? We have the Red Baron and Bill Blizzard. Bill Blizzard? Bill Blizzard. I'm not for, for real? Yes, for real. Are you you're, are you fucking with me? Because you told me we were going to do like a, a freaking queen of oh, some kind. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I have this Madagascarian queen. That can't be the right the right word. But uh, a queen <laughs> of Madagascar, which I'll get to eventually, but I wasn't able to finish her story today. So it's Bill so Blizzard. Did, Don't be a snowflake. Somebody... Be a blizzard. <laughs> Bill Blizzard. There's a guy... Mm -hmm. There's a guy in the uh, in that hideous strength named Bill the Blizzard. Is it about him? Pro probably. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'll say yes because can't be wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. Don't want to be wrong. So yeah. we've got the Red Baron and we've got Bill Blizzard, mm -hmm. and I have no idea who the hell Bill Blizzard is. Right. Um, but uh, uh, what I do know hmm. is that we're coming up on troubled times. Oh dear. Aren't we, James? We are. These are troubled times indeed, Aaron. A time of a dark plague of sin and incest. It's <laughs> coming. <laughs> Sweet Jesus. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So, we're coming up on troubled times. Namely, James is getting married, and I'm telling everybody this because, 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 because. And the other thing is, James, mm. and, you know... I just want you to know this. Our next recording date, yes, after the next recording date, is Christmas. So mm. we're probably going to want to get something done a little bit in advance, mm -hmm. even if it's a fake episode. Uh, except I don't celebrate Christmas. So oh. your assumption that I celebrate what? Christmas is offensive. Um, no, no. You see, I'm driving from Austin to Chicago starting Christmas Day. So oh. I won't be able to record... Unless I record in the car, which would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to read a script. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well. Yeah. But but anyway, we have to get something done. Yeah, it's true. Well, the, yeah. yeah. Christmas. Uh, uh. But yeah, so basically what we're working on right now is for these troubled times, namely the end of the year and the end of James's bachelor life. Mm, same thing. Um, it's just going to be probably a, a series of guest hosts, actually, which... 
Should be interesting. It should be good. We've got some good people lined up. Mm-hmm. 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 And then we should be back to the way things are supposed to be when James is thoroughly hitched and dead inside. So. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thoroughly hitched. Yeah. But don't you worry, listeners, because your happiness is our primary directive. And um, it's yes. actually the reason for the season. Uh, it is literally the reason for the season. Yes. Keep the listener in Christmas is what we're all about uh-huh. here at WTADP. WTADP. That is us, mm-hmm. baby. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so enough about that. Enough news. It's time to start the show. So, James, shall we head down into the history lab? I need to buy a stocking. I haven't even thought about that. <laughs> Maybe there'll be one down in the history lab. Let's go find out. Segway. <laughs> <laughs> Because I don't know who the hell Bill the Blizzard is. Bill Blizzard. Um, Give me just one thing. Uh, mm, unions and coal mining. Oh my god! <laughs> and it sounds it sounds much more boring than it actually is. Okay, good enough. Um, oh, okay. Uh, think Battle of the Five Armies, Hobbit. Oh my god! Yeah. Two men. One, an ace of aces in World War One. The Red Baron, the reddest baron that ever bared his baron. <laughs> it's fucking terrible. No! <laughs> the other, <laughs> Bill Blizzard, a man who was a hobbit. <laughs> so, James, mm-hmm. tell me. Mm. If I proposed that I eat an entire Red Baron frozen pizza, $3.50 at Walmart, over the course of this episode, how awesome would that be? Mm, mm-hmm. uh, on a scale of terrible decision to uh, this podcast, I would rate <laughs> it um, this podcast. Is that good? So a terrible decision. Oh, so <laughs> But something you should definitely do anyway. Okay, well, that is what I'm going to do. I'm going to eat an entire Red Baron frozen pizza while recording. Oh, my I hope you're ready gosh. for some lip-smacking, patty-whacking German pizza goodness. No. Because if there's one thing I think of when I eat frozen pizza, it's Germany. <laughs> <laughs> well, they know all about frozen ever since invading Russia. Oh, God. Yeah, that was too easy. That almost sounded scripted. That's how easy that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Computer, please bring up the Red Baron and Bill Blizzard. Affirmative, my lord. So, Aaron. Wait, hold on. What? What? Shit. I had to get my pizza. It's right here. I am definitely... (laughs) Pizza flavor. Oh, the worst kind of Kit Kat. It's a pizza-flavored cracker snack. Mm. Wow, I don't even know what to say to that. You're disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, really so, good. Though. All right. Well, you keep me posted on this pizza goodness. All right, I'm gonna try to get through one slice per section. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, anyway, while you're doing that, what you also should be doing is telling me what the Red Baron is best known for, besides creating saucy goodness. Hmm. <sighs> Uh, oh, yeah. So the Red Baron is best known for being the Ace of Aces fighter pilot in World War One. That is an official title. Oh. 
which is to say he was the best. Yeah. Uh, and he is known in large part for his fancy-ass red triplane that carried him through many successful missions in the War to End All Wars, mm. as it was called mm-hmm. at the time. All right. Yes. Well, that's that's quite the title. Yes. And speaking of quite the title, what does this man... Oh, dear God! You have a picture! <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. I couldn't resist. He's... Wow. I what? That's Just a say handsome it. looking man. Yep, very, very attractive dude. Yeah, a <laughs> strapping young German soldier. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he may be the most handsome guy we've ever covered on the show, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, he looks, in this picture that you're looking at right now, James, mm. he looks a bit like a sexy steampunk Zeppelin pilot. Right. Yeah, he's got these thick but not bushy eyebrows. Mm. And he has the steely stare of a professional and highly trained killer. He's got the classic high and tight haircut, a polymerite medal, which is just a white spiky cross-shaped medal. Uh, yeah. yeah. And he's got a coat with a collar that goes way the hell up to his ears, just like Blade Runner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He has features sharp enough to cut German steel. This man, this man. Hmm. Yeah. Eh. Is he All the right, reason why World War I was fought? Yes, they they fought World War One entirely so that this guy could get his picture taken in Battle Guard. That well, that makes sense. I'm glad it was okay. worth it. The World War One was worth it. The the whole war <laughs> was worth it. <laughs> yes, according to the Red Baron, that might be true. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, so we'll get there. Okay, we'll get there. Yeah. <sighs> I'm sorry. I'm drinking my pizza. Oh, uh, I heard that's healthier. <laughs> Yes, it's, it's healthier. It's a little hot, though. I had to boil it. Ah. Uh, huh. Well, you do what you have to do. <laughs> so, what is Bill Blizzard best known for? Bill Blizzard is remembered for being the king of the dwarves and leading the dwarven minor army to victory. <laughs> uh, and that is actually a lie. Uh, but kind of not a lie. Oh. Um, if you if you <laughs> left like out it. the dwarves and left out <laughs> victory, oh no, you'd have this guy leading a, a minor army, a minor army, as in a coal miner, not a child a miner, child's crusade, yeah, not oh, okay. a, not a child's crusade, like a minor. Cru- you know, my mind was going. I I knew it was, yeah, and it's the what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Marking. <laughs> You know exactly what I'm talking oh, about. I do. <laughs> we can't say that on the air. All right. So, uh, what did what did Bill Blizzard look like? Well, I uh, I ran out of time and procrastinated. I didn't write anything, so I just copied and pasted his his picture into our not script. But his face looks like a rectangle uh, sideways. <laughs> um. Kind of like a, a rectangle made out of mashed potatoes. If you were building a sandcastle, but instead of a castle, it was a pile of mashed potatoes. Um, Shaped like uh, a rectangle. Yeah, kind of like uh, Close Encounters, where that guy is, you know, carving the mashed potatoes into a <laughs> yeah. giant rectangle. Yep. Well, that is, yeah, that, that's Bill Blizzard's face. But then on top, there's this giant caterpillar of hair. Um, and that's about it. That's about wow. it. Yeah. Wow. There are aliens in this story. No. Mm-hmm. No, they're not. I'm sorry. I lied again. Damn it! <laughs> I'm lying. Damn it, James! I'm lying a lot. 
Are you lying because you're making this guy up? <laughs> no, I, I swear he's real. Or he was real. Uh, I, I don't know where his soul is now. Uh, I, I'm just wanting to believe you ran out of time, so you just invented some fucker. <laughs> <laughs> Not below me. <laughs> I can't. Someday that's actually going to happen. Oh, He's going to make up some guy. It's a great idea. Cite fake sources. Yeah. You know, we, that could be a whole show, like a whole podcast is just making up people from history. Oh, yeah. Ooh, and ooh. Like, and, and saying, and that's why we wear shoes today. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> or or having like a real person on on the show and then a, a made up person and uh, testing the listeners to see which one they think is real and which one is fake. That could be. That fun. would be really hard to do, but that could be really fun. Yeah, we'd have to work a lot on it, and we'd have to come yeah. up with a name like Johan von Lizard or something that doesn't sound <laughs> fake. Yeah, and be like Johan von Lizard was born in Silesia in 1642 and invented you... the stereotypes. Invented <laughs> <laughs> the stereotypes, which you think. Ne- Never mind. I'm gonna stop there. <laughs> what? No, carry on. I can always beep it out. Well, I was thinking stereo. Not. I wasn't gonna go. I wasn't gonna go into stereotypes. I was gonna say stereotypes were an early type of stereo. Yeah, but that's the joke I expected you to make. Yeah. Okay. Now, anyway. Yeah. Shall we get into the Red Baron's early life? Let us get into the Red Baron's oh. early life. All right, we, we, we could call this the preheating stage of the Red Baron because it's like a pizza. <laughs> you have to preheat the oven. <laughs> yep, we're preheating uh, the Red Baron. Okay, this is okay. Perfect. So, four hundred and fifty right. degrees Fahrenheit. All right. Yep. Here we go. Mm. So, in the early summer of, I wrote nineteen eighty-two. My God, it's eighteen eighty-two. Jesus. Well. That's why I don't write the years, hundred beers. Yes. So he wasn't born in 1982. Mm. He was born in 1882. Mm-hmm. And he was born in Kleinberg, Lower Silesia, mm. which today is in Poland. I gotcha. Irony of ironies. How the world changes before our very eyes. Now you might have guessed that he's not actually named the Red Baron. Well, that's and if you guessed that, you would be right. Yes. <laughs> The Red Baron's alter ego was actually a dude by the name of Manfred von Richthofen. Not true. Yep. No, it's it's not that, true. I'm making that up. That's his, a made-up name. His name was... No, it's a made-up name. But, yeah. So, his so-called real name was Manfred von Richthofen. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the son of parents... <clears throat> Major Albrecht Philip Karl Julius Freiherr von Richthofen. Oh. <laughs> and... Yeah, that's his name. And Kunigunde von Schickfuss und Neudorf. <laughs> What wow. do all these names mean? <laughs> He's a true American. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but let me let me answer a quick quick question regarding the whole Richthofen thing. Since okay. you asked. Yeah, uh, what's the right. Richthofen so the, thing? So the Freiherr part of Major Albrecht Philip Karl Julius Freiherr von Richthofen uh-huh. actually translates to free lord. Oh. <laughs> which is just another way of saying baron. Sure. Uh, that is to say, the Baron part of the Red Baron nickname was legit. The dude was actually nobility. Hmm. So, there's that. But we're not going to spend too much time in his childhood, because there's a lot more going on in his adulthood, as you might have guessed. Right. Uh, and there's not much you can do as a little kid. You can, like, lift a brick or 
brush your teeth. Some kids learn to put on their own shoes sometimes. They're pretty much useless is what I'm saying. Kids are kids useless. Are useless. Mm-hmm. Here on this show, if we stand for one thing, it's that kids are useless. Right. Completely right. useless. Yep. Uh, unless you're Manfred von, von Richthofen. No. In which case, your favorite thing to do involves hunting wild boar before he turned ten. Oh my god. Wow. Yeah. Wild boar and elk. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so yeah, Manfred has three siblings. Mm. <clears throat> An older sister, Ilsa, and two younger brothers named Lothar and Bolko. <laughs> Is this Norse mythology? <laughs> Whatever it is. All right. Yeah. 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 Whatever it is, he's got brothers, and they're named Lothar and Bulko, <laughs> which I just fucking love. Uh, yeah. So they're all homeschooled oh, for a little bit. Shit. Yeah. But only till they're about 11, which is pretty typical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at which point, Manfred joined the goddamn military. <laughs> so the normal homeschooling, uh... Yeah, he joined the military at 11, Mm -hmm. so he starts training, uh, and then he finishes when he's 19, (laughs) and immediately joins a cavalry unit in 1911, Nice, which is convenient. Do you know why? mm, uh, Because Because, horses were invented? Um, uh, No, because do you know what time it is, James? It's time for... (laughs) I didn't even say it yet. It's time for World War One. Now, no, 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 no. You know what they say about World War One, Aaron. It was so bad you might say it went over the top. Uh, <laughs> vague trench warfare reference. I get it. Yep. You might good. say it was a major gas. Do people even use that word that way anymore? You might even say it was a war of attrition. A lot of people say that. You might even say that it boiled my banana. So World War I begins. Good. Uh, And with it begins the arrival of trench warfare and a new way of killing as many people as possible without gaining any ground. Great. Um, Uh, Oh shit, I must have lost something. Oh, yeah. I just wrote it wrong. Anyway, so cavalry, mm. right? Yeah. Is a major problem in the face of modern war, that's, as you might have guessed. That's true. Hmm. Charging several hundred horses toward one machine gun nest is usually a disaster. Mm. Mm-hmm. It takes them a while to figure this out, though, because the cavalry... Jeez, are... now I'm just hungry. <laughs> God damn it. It takes a while for, for them to figure it out, though, because the cavalry were pretty prideful about being cavalry. Right. Right, because you were on a horse and that made you better somehow or whatever. Well, only rich people could uh, afford the horses, so it was a class thing. So the rich people were all dying on their horses and they did it for a while until they were like, hey, this is a bad idea, Mm. and they scrapped Mm -hmm. cavalry. Yeah. And of course, Richthofen was in the cavalry. Right. Um, So, yeah. You can't really do a successful cavalry charge in World War One, so Richthofen's not really seeing much. You can do recon, which is what Richthofen does Hmm. until that's scrapped too. Yeah. At which point, Richthofen is basically turned into a runner and a phone operator. Right, because he's like seven years old. No, he's nineteen. Oh. Damn it! He, this so this like this really sucks for him uh. um, because he's been training his whole life for combat, and he's goddamn Manfred von Richthofen. Right. And then he gets even the phone operating shit pulled from under him. Oh. So he's gone from cavalry. Oh. To phone operator, mm-hmm. oh, no, f- cavalry 
charging or whatever to cavalry recon to phone operator and runner and now he's being put into supply oh which basically means he's gonna be hauling supplies Mm. and for a guy like rick toffin that's just not good enough no no yeah. So, meanwhile, in his off hours when he wasn't gloomily smoking cigarettes at nightfall, he's been watching the advent of airplane technology arise all around him. Mm. The plane's going up and going down and buzzing around like murderous little bees. Well, this really interests him. Hmm. So he applies for a transfer to what's called Die Fliegertruppen der Deutschen Kaiserreichs. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> you know what they say about flieger trooping. <laughs> They'll troop in your flieger any day of the week. Yeah, die flieger trooping des Deutschen Kaiserreichs. I don't know what that means. But anyway, it's just a way of saying, it's just the Kaiser's way of saying the Imperial Germany German Army Air Service. Gotcha, or whatever. yeah. And <clears throat> I have a quote here from Rick Toffen. Mm. Uh, in his most celebrated work, which is known as uh, Wikipedia, uh, quote: <laughs> "I, <laughs> I, ha- okay, I should do, do it, try to do a German voice. All yes. Right, so, <clears throat> I have not gone to war in order to collect cheese and eggs, but for another purpose. Ooh, yeah. So he doesn't want to collect cheese and eggs. Well, that's. I mean, that's basically France. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah." Uh, yeah, so he he put in his transfer request, and guess what? Hmm. It was granted. Mm. Nice. Yeah, despite the fact that he was just in supply, and mm-hmm. pretty much the whole system was working against him getting into the air service. And so he got it. Yeah, no cheese or yeah, eggs. Got, no cheese, no eggs. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, yeah. so in the May of 1915, he was officially in. Nice. And that's where we'll leave him for now. And when we come back, we'll be talking about his adult life. Now, James, shall we talk about Bill Blizzard's early life? Sure. It's a blizzard of activity. Uh, <clears throat> how many paragraphs did you write? Not Can many. you count them on one hand? Uh, yes. <laughs> but I also don't have hands. <laughs> so, that's a bit tricky. Unexpected. Mm. Unexpected. Mm-hmm. All right. Just like World so, War I. Uh, Yep. Take it away, James. So, Bill Blizzard was born on September 19th, 1892, in the town of Cabin Creek, West Virginia. Uh Mm Uh-oh. Bill's father, Timothy Blizzard, was a coal miner, and Bill's mother, Sarah Blizzard, was a proud supporter and advocate for the UMWA. What's that? United Mothers Want Attention. (laughs) Uh, no, that's... Pick something less sexist that's, if you would. <laughs> yeah, that's not it. Okay, so let's talk about the UMWA. Okay. Uh, so that it, it turns out in the late 1800s and early 1900s in America, things often kind of sucked for the working class, turns out. Did they really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this was especially no. true for miners. Um, and not the, the kid type of miners, but the Mines of Moria types of miners. Right? I already made the joke. Yeah. Good. <laughs> and just hang on to your pantaloons, because we're going to get into a now horrible mining life was a bit later. Wow, that sentence really didn't flow off the tongue or the cheeks. Um, so just, just ha- <laughs> hang on. Uh, hmm, okay. But for now, what's important is my State of the Union address. 
Meaning what? I'm going to address unions <laughs> and the, the state <laughs> of unions. Oh, God, no, the lads are striking again, my dear boy. <laughs> what the fuck are you on? Unionism, my boy. <laughs> okay. Okay. Great. So Carry uh, on. Let's, let's back up just a bit. Um, okay. Miners are basically being treated for shit. And, like, a right. long time. So, uh, unions began popping up like daisies. And, uh, beginning in 1890, the most powerful mining union came to be, and this union was, and is, it's still around, known as the United Mine Workers of America. Oh, oh or yeah. The, the UMWA. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I'm going to be talking about the UMWA quite a bit today, so just remember what it is. The United okay. Work Mine Workers of America. Anyway, so uh, Bill's dad is a miner, and Bill's mom is a heavy supporter of the UMWA because she cared about her family's safety and the plight of the miner. Uh, and in fact, Bill's mom, Sarah, was so active with the UMWA that most miners in the area simply referred to her as Ma, and often referred to our guy Bill simply as Ma's son. So she was like seen as this this mother, what is going, are you mining? Yeah. Care to explain? Nope. <laughs> Great. You will have no answers. <laughs> okay. Well, that that's not good. even Rohan will answer. <laughs> Enough Lord of the Rings jokes. Yeah. <sighs> you had your ten. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so uh, another great thing that America had at this time was child labor. <laughs> oh, uh, so not the, great. Yeah, it, it is great. It is great. Yep. <laughs> so at the age of you said child labor. <laughs> you know how I said Man. children are useless today? They yeah. weren't back then. <laughs> Because <laughs> they had oh jobs and were contributing to society. God, we've gone downhill. Okay, so... Oh, wow, God. <laughs> so at the age of 10, Bill went off to work in the mines with his father. Jesus. Uh, yeah. Aaron, what at were 10? you doing at the age of 10? I was fucking playing Star Wars Battlefront. Mm -hmm. I was mining in Minecraft. <laughs> Basically the same thing. Yeah. The same thing. We need a Minecraft miners union. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. Minecraft miner miners union. <laughs> Damn it, you stole my joke. Mm. Damn it. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So I was going to say Bill is a miner miner, which, yeah, which you already used. Yeah. Um, well, I wouldn't have used it if you had put your script on fucking Google Docs. I put it on it this morning! <laughs> I don't have internet, so I don't know. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. <laughs> All right. Okay, so he's he's working in the mines at age 10, and he keeps on doing that. And at the age of 16, he was a seasoned and seasonal coal miner. Uh, Shit. Also a devoted member of the UMWA, and also kind of an asshole. Um, which isn't a huge surprise, because he's a kid and working in the mines. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, but he became known as a cocky, confident, and just always looking for a fight. And some dude said of Bill, uh, I gotta, I gotta get my uh, West Virginia 1920s minor voice. 
Bill would fight at the drop of the hat. And sometimes you didn't even need the hat. <laughs> That's what they sounded like. That was good. It's true. That sounded great. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. Mm. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so if Bill was looking for a fight, well, that night, the right fight was in sight. You see, the coal industry managers really didn't like unions. Ah. Uh, I wonder why. Yeah. And that's kind of an understatement. Is it because they can't exploit the worker with with them in existence? Yeah. 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 Yep. So uh, the industry freaking hated unions. Like, if you're in a union, we're going to shoot at you. What the fuck? And that's what happened. <laughs> uh, so when Bill was 18 or 19, he and his family were living in a tent. Oh. Uh, surrounded by many other mining families living in tents. Why? Because Why? they were all unionists. Uh, and basically, they were they were kicked out of their home because they were a part of a union and forced to live in a tent. Good stuff. Good stuff. Wow. Yeah. So now they're uh, all on this perpetual camping trip when all of a sudden a bunch of armed soldiers hired by the coal companies show up and just start shooting into the tents. Are you kidding me? No. This is, this is true. This uh, has Henry Frick written all over it. Yeah. Seriously. Um, I couldn't find much on this this instance of the the tent attack, um, but from what I did find, it looks like the aim of the the privatized soldiers was not to kill the miners, but to kind of scare them. Uh, like you may be in a union, but you're also in a tent, and we have bullets, um, right? To scare them into what? Leaving the union yeah. and moving back into the home? Basically, to have nothing to do with unions. Um, it was a scare wow. tactic. Yeah. Uh, it's still a douche move, um, even if they weren't aiming to kill. Um, so anyway, let's look into this. Bill and his mom are hiding in a tent as people are screaming and bullets are blasting through the canvas. So what do you do? I'm going to give you three options. Okay. All right. A, do you fight back? B, do you plead for mercy? Or C, do you grab a crowbar, run on over to the nearby railroad, and just start tearing up railroad ties while <laughs> bullets are flying everywhere? Whoa. Is the third one what he did? No, it's not. It's what his oh. mother did. Oh my god. So Bill's mom just runs on over to the railroad and starts destroying it with her own two hands in an attempt to distract the guards from shooting at the miners and instead focusing on stopping her from sabotaging company property. Like, wow. what a badass. That is heroic. And also, it would <laughs> not be the last time that she would use this tactic. <laughs> this is a good tactic. It's like... You want to shoot at my fucking kids? Well, fuck your railroad. <laughs> Which I hope is just, like, her go-to solution to any problem. Like, uh, like any at a Thanksgiving dinner or something, Uncle Henry is like, well, the Patriots are the best team. And she's like, fuck the Patriots uh, and fuck your railroad. And she just runs over. I don't know. That's, that's what I picture. Yes. You there. Shit. Doing okay. Aaron? Aaron? Um. <clears throat> Aaron? Not really. Um. How? I can't remember. I think it was Jimmy. He did a great rude. job of explaining everything. This is the state of things, ladies and gentlemen. 
if you'll notice, yeah. it's always him that leaves. And I'm here, left with you in this okay. sensual situation. More sensual now, actually, that he's gone. He, um, it's just me okay, so it's and you, complicated. the listeners. You're alone in your car at night, listening to only me. Only me talking to you. There is nothing else in the world but the stars, you, and I. We are stars together. We shine together. We fall together. It is you, the listener, and me, James D., the stars of the universe. Oh, he's left my call. Come on. Come on, Aaron. Come on. Call me back. Well, now I'm calling him, and he's not picking up because he doesn't care about me. You know, listeners, this is... Well, we can learn a lot from this. When you're betrayed, the first thing to do is to remain calm. Then it's to load your gun and go to the person who betrayed you and say, do you know how to unload this gun? Because I don't, and now it's loaded and it scares me. Did he... He didn't pick up. He didn't pick up. Why? Why did you not pick up? Aaron? Hello? Ah, now he's calling me. See? Ah, they all want to be, always want to be the callers and not the called. That's the problem. Why am I getting a call at the same time as calling you? Well, my son, (laughs) as it is written, so it shall be. I'm I'm sorry, my insurance agent decided now was a good time uh, to ask me questions. You think, you dare to think (laughs) that you're... Fucking insurance agency is more important than the listeners. Well, my boy, I have something to say to you. You're probably right, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, insurance is important, so I'm glad that's squared yeah. well. All right. Yeah, I'm glad it only took a couple of minutes, but... Uh... All right, are you ready? <laughs> Did you leave your thing running? Oh, yeah. And there's the... <laughs> There's there's some little treasures for you in there. I can't wait. I'm so glad you did. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, let's just say that the listeners and I are a little closer together now. And you're on the outside, my friend. You are on the outside. That is fine. Yeah. Because everybody knows that I love them more than you do. Everybody knows that you're using them, enslaving them, just like Henry Frick and all the other capitalists. Mm. <laughs> so wait, so okay, when naive. we left off, was it, was it, <laughs> did we, le- did we lose each other when uh, Bill's mother was working on the railroad? Well, you never lost me. I am right. a part of you. Um, oh, God. <laughs> I didn't mark it. Did you mark this whole fiasco? 
I marked the call. Okay, perfect. Well, you have it. <laughs> it's good enough. Yep. All right. So, do you remember his mother running over and ripping up the, the railroad ties? How could I forget? Okay. Uh, anyway, l- let's move on. We're almost done with Bill's early life. So, he continued his wonderful childhood of mining and occasionally being shot at, which is just uh, normal life here in America. Anyway, right. it's no surprise that he continued his membership with the UMWA and also began quickly rising through the ranks of the Union. But trouble is a-brewing, and those coal oh, no. monopolists don't like competition. What will happen next? Will the coal companies finally give in to the demands of the workers? Will the union collapse? Or will any type of diplomacy stop and then create tensions that will eventually culminate in a giant epic battle on the side of a mountain with, like, thousands of participants? Only time will tell. It's history. It's life. (laughs) It's love. We just need to get Dan Carlin on to say that. Like, imagine, if you will, two dolts reading from Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) These two guys were really an enigma. (laughs) One of them likes insurance and pizza more than his fellow man. The other isn't a human, he's just a blob of slime. Also, there's a cat. We talk about dead people. That's it, that's it. Okay. (laughs) So, speaking of dead people and us talking, why don't you tell me about the Red Baron's adult life, which we'll call the, the cooking portion of his life. Yes, this is the, this is the sizzling, popping, cracking part of the Red Baron's Mm. life. Mm. Uh, so here we go Mm -hmm. and when we left the Red Baron frozen as he was in my oven Ah. uh, he was still not yet the Red Baron but he was getting closer Mm. Um, uh, having transferred from the army supply to the air service Richthofen was on his way to fame Mm. his first role uh, in combat was fighting zombies alongside a Soviet and American soldier uh, in what's it called? What? Uh, oh, <laughs> the campaign of Black Ops, <laughs> Call of Duty Black Ops. Right. Yeah. What are they stole his name? You have aged us. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. Rick Duffin. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if he's still a character at all. Like, I think they kept him as the evil guy or whatever. Yeah. But whatever. I, I I really don't fucking know because I don't play Call of Duty anymore because I'm not twelve. Well, there goes anyway. our twelve-year-old audience. That's right. <laughs> so, Right. Yeah, uh, his his first role, Richthofen's first role in combat mm. was actually in 1915, mm. and he was what was called an observer in some recon missions. And the observer was the back seat or the front seat, one of the seats on the two seater biplane. Right, right. So, but not the pilot, and not the pilot. Okay. And sometimes the observer was like. You know, they would have, drop bombs or they would, you know, make notes on a map. Sometimes they'd fire their machine guns at shit. Yeah. Um, and speaking of, it was during one of these missions where he was an observer, mm-hmm. uh, after being transferred to the front at Champagne, mm. that he is believed to have gotten his first unconfirmed kill. Oh, okay. Um, what happened was basically this. His pilot was flying through some pretty intense shit, anti-air and dog fights and all yeah. that crap. Um, and a French plane got on their ass, mm. and started firing. Yikes. So what's an observer to do? Uh, look at it? Yep, just stare at it 
as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Richthofen does. Until he, you know, locks and loads the local machine gun and shoots that baguette-burgling bastard right out of the sky. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Richthofen's kill was, as I said, not confirmed since the plane was downed behind enemy lines. Hmm. Um, but most historians seem to believe that this is true. How can he you killed not? killed a... Yeah, I, I mean... Really, give it to him. It's Richthofen. Yeah. yeah, give him something. Yeah. Uh, after this, Richthofen act- accidentally ran into an actual German ace fighter pilot named Oswald Bulky. Hmm. I think that's how you pronounce okay. it. Bulky. Yeah. Uh, who was called the father of air fighting tactics. <laughs> and this nice. guy is no small deal. Uh-huh. Uh, his Wikipedia page is longer than Richthofen's. Oh, wow. Okay. That's how you know it's no small deal. Right. 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 Okay. So anyway, after meeting Bulka... Uh, Manfred von Richthofen was inspired to train as not just any pilot. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be an ace fighter pilot. Oh, yeah. He persuaded his brother Lothar, Lothar, <laughs> uh, to pursue this with him. Uh-huh. And he got him to leave his troop trainer position to join the air service as well. Oh, man. And then it finally begins. Oh. Manfred immediately crashes on his first flight as a pilot. <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> Yeah, I'm not kidding. Oh. The Red Baron crashed on his first flight. Wow, so many analogies yeah. we could make with that. Uh, I I don't know what analogies you're talking about. I don't know about, either. But oh, okay. What well, we what won't. a start. Yeah. So he crashed, uh-huh. but despite this, he improved really quickly. Sure. Um, in the late April of 1916, he might have gotten his first plane to plane kill at Verdun, mm. just at fucking Verdun. You oh, know. Of course. Um, but <laughs> it was did. unconfirmed. Yeah, everyone. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I was there. You were there, right? I was there. Yeah, it was a hell of a party. It was. Tom brought popcorn. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. It's not done until we're done. That's what I always say. They are not done till we're done. <laughs> I don't know. Uh anyway, so he shot a plane down, but it was unconfirmed because it landed behind enemy lines sure. and you can't check for that shit. Yeah. So a week later he actually nearly got himself killed flying through a thunderstorm. Oh, okay. <laughs> Why was he flying through a thunderstorm? I don't know, but he was Rain and nearly died. God. So yeah, hmm. yeah, playing with God maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Hey Zeus, don't zap me. Anyway, <laughs> so Rick Dolphin got a little more practice in and showed really good signs of true potential. Hmm. Uh, and this did uh, actually catch the attention of our ace Freund Oswald Bulka, hmm. who was looking for new pilots to join up with his new squadron of fighter planes. Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, it was World War One when the concept of, like, air-to-air combat yeah. like, became a thing. Yeah. Like, planes just flying around shooting at each other. It's kind of weird, huh. but there it is. Um, so, anyway, Richthofen joins up, and the two begin flying missions together. So, he's joined up with this ace of aces yeah. at the time. And it was on one of these missions that Richthofen got his first kill. Uh, the man's name was Tom Reese, a British airman who was flying shotgun as an observer in a bombing run on a railway station. Hmm. Uh, Richthofen initiated a dogfight with Tom's pilot, Lionel Morris, and ended up shooting up the British plane so bad that it had to land. Tom Reese was officially killed in the air, and the pilot, Lionel Morris, after managing to put his plane down in a field, just sat in his pilot's chair bleeding out. Wow. Which is pretty sad. Yeah. Um, But it's war. Um, Mm. And Richthofen was like, hey, this is my first kill. So... He just lands his plane. Okay. Like, in the midst of combat, near the downed British aircraft, and documented his kills. While British medics were pulling the dying Morris out of the cockpit. Jeez. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Like, 
well, medics are pulling them out of the cockpit, and you're like writing it down well, as an enemy soldier. I've I've heard that in in World War One, the the dog fighting aspect of of combat was a lot like knights in uh, the medieval times. In that, ah. in medieval times, the knights were they were they were lords. They were they were rich. They were important. And they were highly trained. Not just anyone could be a knight. And that's why you had this weird, like, code of chivalry where knights would sometimes do one-on-one combat. And if you beat the other knight, you would let him live. Just out of, like, this mutual respect for each other's skill and expertise and standard. And in World War One, I've heard it was similar in that a lot of pilots were kind of noblemen, like, like you said earlier. And, and not anyone could be a pilot. You had to, you had to train for that shit. And so there was this weird chivalry among the air of pi- or among the air with these pilots, um, where you you fought, but you didn't always aim to kill the other pilot. There was just this like weird respect, and I don't know if that's that's true with the Red Baron. Um, that's just what I've heard. Yeah, well, he seems to have treated it like something that wasn't just about killing other people, right? You know, um, it was it was this it was a noble fight. Hmm, yeah, you know, very old fashioned, like the sparring, sparring in the air or something. Yeah, kind of. And it, it's this what sort of underlines it um, is that he like gets a he orders a silver cup, like a victory cup, mm-hmm. uh, engraved with the date and the type of aircraft he had shot down, huh. um, as like a victory trophy for himself. Yeah. Uh, and this is actually a practice that he would carry on literally until Germany ran out of silver. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So, yeah, because, like, on his 60th cup, the guy was like, <laughs> yeah, I know, oh, man. On his 60th cup, the guy was like, yeah, man, we can't sell you any more of these. We're out of silver. <laughs> huh. There was rationing going on or whatever, yeah. so... Anyway, so it really seems like this dream of being a fighter pilot has finally become real for Richtofen. <laughs> High in the air, his plane buzzing along, he looks over to his friend and mentor, Oswald Bulka. Oswald looks back, their eyes meet, and they share a nod. (laughs) True brotherhood in arms. And then an allied plane crashes directly into Oswald's plane, sending him careening to Earth. No! in, In a survivable crash that was not survived because Oswald was not wearing a helmet or a fucking seat belt. Dude! So the current ruling air ace yeah. dies because some asshole accidentally crashes into him in formation and he forgets to put on his helmet or seatbelt. Mm, click it or tick it. Yeah, click it or dick it. I don't know. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. But Richtofen was used to death, okay? It was World War One, Right. And also, he was going to take... Uh, he was going to take down uh, the man known as the British Bulka, right? Mm-hmm. So he was like, he was like, fuck it, you know, I, Bulka's dead, but it's time to take down the British Bulka, yeah. which is what they called a fighter pilot by the name of Lano Hawker, ah. a British fighter, um, plane flyer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a pretty remarkable flight, but the point is that Richtofen wins by fighting until Lano runs out of fuel. Ah, the old fuel trick. Yeah, Lano, or Lando, as I keep thinking myself, <laughs> turns to flee back behind a- allied lines and takes a bullet to the back of the head uh. sent from Richtofen's own machine guns. Uh. And these were, like, massive freaking bullets. Oh, yeah. I looked it no up. Head, yeah. No head left, I'm sure. N- yeah. Um, and then, what was it going to say also? Oh, yeah, and here's the thing. Richtofen had, like, his guns were jammed mm. when... 
the uh, when this guy was killed hmm. because the bullet he he had fi- been firing bullets yeah. and then it jammed and then one of the bullets he fired killed the guy. Weird. So like, if he had just like jammed a little bit earlier, Leno might have survived. Hmm. Anyway, this earns Richthofen the medal known as the Blue Max, which is the highest honor in the German military at the time huh. because he took down this ace fighter pilot. Wait, 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 wait. What? In Star Wars, in <laughs> in Jabba's palace, there's that blue elephant playing on, like, the keyboards. Uh-huh. His name is Max Rebo, I think. Don't ask me why I know that. He's also <laughs> a blue one. elephant. So what I'm thinking is the blue Max, this German military medal, is actually named after Blue Max. The elephant-like creature playing at Jabba's Palace, who's also probably a fighter pilot in World War One. Oh yes, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, Once again, on this show, we we bring the the mysteries of history together. <laughs> we really do. We answer all your questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know everything there is to know about history. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. so later that year, in 1917, in March. Uh, Richthofen had a very real brush with death. He took a bullet right through the fuel tank, which, in case you're wondering, is not his stomach. It's the fuel tank in his plane. Ah. Uh, And is that bad? And this is bad. This is bad. (laughs) It's a little little bad. Uh, For a lot of reasons, not the least of which is that this is how most people caught fire in the air, you know, and roasted to death. Uh, Which is terrible. Um, but he somehow manages to land his plane without exploding into fire. Oh, that's good. Um, so I don't, I don't know how he pulled that off. To the fire and the flames we carry on. Yep. Yeah. That song was written uh, for him. Oh, wow. Incredible. Anyway, so Richthofen, you might be imagining, is like flying his tri-wing all around and whatnot. But the point, the thing is, he's not really flying the same plane every mission. He's like swapping them out while the others are in the shop. Um, so it's not like he has this uniform plane. He's, like, trying a different one every time. Oh, okay. He likes certain ones for their agility, their speed. You know, it depends on what he's feeling that day and also which ones are being repaired. Yeah. Um, but none of them yet are the tri-wing plane he's associated with. Sure, because I know uh, what that plane looks like. Yeah. It's famous. Um, no. And it wasn't a tri-plane at all until uh, July 1917, hmm. when he finally got his Fokker DR-1 triplane mm. and flew it into battle hmm. and because he now has his famous plane this is when he really starts racking up the kills you know yeah like this is what made him famous uh actually just kidding he only made 19 out of his 80 kills in the actual triplane. oh okay well that's huh, interesting also it's not the only plane he painted red mm, okay well there's yeah. might be some like confusion no, no. But anyway, so shortly after killing Lano Hawker, he took command of his squadron, mm. Jasta Eleven. Mm. Uh, I don't know why that was French, but fuck it. Yeah. Uh, this was a squadron of the best German aces in the war, oh, uh, including his brother Lothar, oh. who was also a very uh, prolific fighter pilot and had 40 victories in the air himself. Wow, but he just um, over probably always gets overshadowed by his brother. A little bit, a little bit, yeah. yeah. So, anyway, shortly after assuming command, Richthofen got the idea of painting all the planes in the squadron red. Oh, that's so sick. Uh, <laughs> I know. And the idea was to give himself that extra edge of fear over his enemies. Yeah. Um, he wanted them to know it was him, Ugh. right? Um, yeah, and, well, yeah. 
So, anyway, he didn't only fly red planes after this. It wasn't like he's like, I'm going to paint my plane red and then only flew red planes. Sure. Um, and it's also worth noting that the shade of red he chose wasn't the glaring bright red bullshit you see on models and replicas. Mm. Uh, it was a little tamer than most of the... Most of, um, most of the others, or what you see. Yeah, yeah, most of the others that you see, the replicas and yeah. shit. Uh, nonetheless, it made the squadron really stand out. And, get this, according to Battlefield 1, the entire German air service painted their planes red after this. Oh, cool! But, of course, Battlefield 1 is bullshit, <laughs> so fuck that! Yep. Yeah, I don't know if I mentioned it yet, but all the German planes in Battlefield 1 are red. I kind of got that, and that's, well, that's because, stupid. <laughs> because... God hates us. Oh, jeez. Anyway. That, uh, have, yeah. What? What? That ju um, it just, it's taking advantage of an icon that people might, might know and just exploiting it. Anyway. Yeah. It's also being ahistorical. Well, yeah. And I, sure. can hear, I can hear the, I can hear the commenters already. Uh, you expect Battlefield 1 to be historical? Oh, dear. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, I do. Oh. A little bit. Oh, no. Why? No. Because it's set in a historical oh, setting. Mm. That's it. Yeah. I can't rant when you keep saying things. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's just this is this is the easiest thing to get you to rant about. I Okay, but I'm not going to Okay, well, not gonna it's fair it. enough. Yeah. It's true. I will not rant, not today. Anyway, <clears throat> so having a squadron of elite fighters flying in red planes led by a pair of brothers of nobility was get this, great for German propaganda. Oh boy. <laughs> Part of why Richthofen is so well-known is because of the propaganda surrounding his red plane motif. Not surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it also helped that Richthofen and his men were unstoppable in the air. Hmm. In what's called the Bloody April of 1917, Richthofen himself shot down 22 airplanes. Huh. Wow. At this point, he had a total of 52 planes that he'd blasted out of the sky. Wow, and that's significant, too, because planes ain't cheap. All right, so... <clears throat> This success of, like, well, this success brought him to an even larger command over what was known as a fighter wing, mm -hmm. which was a massive squadron of fighter planes that were designed to move all over the front on short notice. Nice. This new command was called the Jagdgeschvader, Jagdsvader, mm -hmm. Darth Vader 1, and became known as the Flying Circus. Wow. Since, one, the planes were all bright red, and two, they were highly, highly mobile. Mm. Um, which means they, like, landed their planes various places and, like, camped out in tents and, like, followed railways oh, with all stuff in it and shit. Yeah, so Flying Circus because they were they were moving all over the yeah. place and tents. Basically it. So, <clears throat> in the July of 1917, Richthofen got shot in the fucking head oh. in combat <laughs> and went unconscious in the air. Oh, wow. Uh, his plane went into a spin... Uh, and he woke up just in this dreadful situation. jeez. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he had just enough time to land his plane and suffered further injury in the landing. Wow. Um, he survived. And against his doctor's <laughs> orders, he went back into combat after being shot in the head less than three weeks later. Mm -hmm. uh, apparently with a changed temperament. Ooh. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. Beginning in the early uh, early September of 1917 and ending in late October, Richthofen went on convalescent leave during which time he wrote his autobiography, Der Rotkampflieger, hmm. which just means, I think, the red plane fighter, the red fighter plane. Mm -hmm. Kampf is war, 
Flieger is Flyer, the Red Flyer, War of Flyer. I don't fucking yeah. know. Anyway, of course, this was heavily edited, right? His autobiography. Okay. Heavily edited and censored, so it was basically turned into propaganda. Good, good, right? good. Yeah. Uh, he also wrote in it a kind of patriotic, wrote in, like, his tone was a kind of patriotic and battle-frenzied fren- arrogance. Hmm. Like, I took down those British fighters and and I felt better ever since and shit like that. Yeah. Um, it's possible that those were edited in, like added in. Sure. Um, uh, because, like, he also wrote, like, really sad shit. Like, I feel worse every fucking day I do this. <laughs> um, uh-huh. And they cut it out, obviously. Oh. Um and he believed also that his views on war had changed since the time of writing. Sure. Uh, in fact, before he died, he really seemed to be suffering from some serious emotional blowback for his ferocity in oh. battle. Um, he said his worst moods came after battle, surprisingly enough. Yeah. Uh, you know, after killing after people, he felt bad. Yeah. yeah. Nonetheless, this little book was very effective propaganda, sure. and he became elevated even more as a war hero. Hmm. The Kaiser Reich started spreading stories that the British had special kill squads of pilots directly assigned to kill Richthofen, huh. which Richthofen sort of believed, yeah, um, be- and probably made him a little bit more paranoid, yeah. um, <laughs> as it would. <laughs> in fact, it, it may have been actually partially true, hmm. um, but most people say probably not. Who knows? That the British yeah. made kill squads for one guy. Anyway, so that's where we're going to leave Richthofen until we come back for his end and death. Wow. Okay. So, ready to tell us about your boiled potato? Always. Always. Yes. All right, so back to Bill Blizzard's adult life. Bill Blizzard. Bill Blizzard Blizzard the wizard. Yep. Blizzard. Bill Blizzard. (laughs) Gizzard. Buzzard. Bill Blizzard. Mm. Mm -hmm. I I can keep going if you want, but... Um, save it, save it. Uh, call me later when we're not recording, and just, if you could do that for a couple hours, that'd be great. Alright, great. Okay, so when we last left Bill, he was living in a tent with his family next to a bunch of other mining... Are you mining again? No. Oh. What are you doing? Are you gonna tell me this time? No. Alright. <laughs> it's for Christmas, I can't tell you. <laughs> oh, wow. Are you making me a present? No, I'm wrapping your present, ah, dummy. dang it. All right. So Bill is living, uh, he's, he's with a bunch of mining families who are in living in tents because they've been kicked out of their homes because they were unionists. Right. Uh, Bill, the flying circus. <laughs> the, the mining circus, yeah, basically. <laughs> so Bill's sister would later talk about these evictions, uh, and she'd describe it as biscuits and taters thrown out and coal shoveled out of the stove. Which really what? describes the situation. <laughs> Wait, what did she say again? One more time. Biscuits and taters thrown out and coal shoveled out of the stove. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, we'll just move on. Uh, anyway, life among the miners in West Virginia was terrible. Uh, so terribly, actually, that a strike was soon organized. And this is known as the Paint Creek Cabin Creek Strike of 1912. Wow. Um, it was organized by a strong unionist, union, unionist leader, commonly named Mother Jones. Uh, oh. And we'll have to cover her sometime, because she was basically like a female Gandalf who always showed up to lead workers against oppressive companies. 
I, yeah, that's basically Because that's what Gandalf does. Yeah, he leads oppressed people. Exactly. To, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, the strike happens, and Bill, along with the rest of the UMWA, proclaim their support for the strikers. And then armed guards are sent to basically make sure the unionists don't do anything stupid or hurt company property. And uh, Bill's mom just runs off again to the nearest railroad and begins to pry up the train boards in order to distract both sides. Classic. <laughs> yep, classic mom. Well, this strike goes on for several months. Um, and like 50 people die from various shootings that break out between the unionists and the corporate soldiers. Um, because, mm. uh, oh yeah, both sides are heavily armed. <laughs> Great. Because it's America. Yeah. America. Then Marshal... Frick, yeah. <laughs> Henry Frick, yeah. Uh, then Martial Law is instigated in order to try and solve the situation, but this only raises tensions. Uh, anyway, the strike is eventually lifted because most of the strikers were dying of starvation, uh, but the Unionists were not done yet. This has merely been a short setback. Um, also, all of America was kind of woken up by this strike and started to ask questions like, Wait... Why do coal companies have to hire guards to keep their workers in check? Uh, that, I can't even believe that was a question we faced at a certain point. Isn't that weird? It, it like, is. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about what kind of these, these conditions were for the miners, just for a second. Um, okay. This one guy named Douglas Estep, he described the mining industry in West Virginia oh. with... Uh, it is an industrial police state where all the roads and train depots were patrolled by armed guards. To defy the guards or to even hint at union sympathy was to invite a beating, exile, or even death. Damn. Yeah. So basically, Bioshock. Bas yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, so these companies did not like if you were a member of the UMWA union. Uh, especially, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> especially after the Paint Creek, Cabin Creek strike. So, like, for example, if you were found out to be in support of the UMWA, what would likely happen is that armed guards would come and evict you out of your house by literally going into your house, grabbing all your shit, and throwing it into the middle of the muddy street. God. Yeah. But sometimes it was even worse. Uh, sometimes they would drag you out and beat your ass in the middle of the street. And sometimes you were basically just kind of killed by the guards. What? If you, were, if you showed sympathy to the Union. Uh, so, not great. And, God damn it. But if you were not part of the Union, you had no say in how you'd be treated. Uh, and many of these miners were basically treated as slaves, as basically you probably put together. Um... They had... Yeah, well, I I know I told you I was reading Road to Wigan Pier. Yeah. Talking about... Did I tell you about this on the show? I don't remember. I don't think so. Okay, so in in the UK, they had a similar thing with the miners, and basically you got into the company uh -huh. as a miner. They paid you... You know, they gave you a place to live, yep. which was shit. Yep. It was like you lived in a closet with like four other people. Right. Um, You would go to work, get to the mine mining company, right... Get on the elevator, which often the elevators would just break and pl you would plummet, you know, thousands of feet into the earth yeah. and die. Oh, sure. Um, you would go down this elevator and you would get to the bottom and you would they would open the door and the floor would be like three and a half feet high. So you had to squat or, or oh, bend geez. over or whatever. Yeah. And then sometimes you would walk like three hours underground. Wow. 
through this mine shaft to get to the to get to the vein, uh-huh. and um, you would not get paid, and your working hours wouldn't technically begin until you got to the shaft, like Jeez. to the wall. Um, so you had three hours of travel, mm. uh, travel time on foot. I would be fucking exhausted. Yeah. Um, in fact, people who were too weak, they never made it. They would just die down oh, there. Oh, sure. Uh, they would do the travels for three hours, not get paid for them, chip away at the wall for a 12-hour shift. Oh. And then they would walk back three hours, go up the elevator. But by the way, the moment they stopped chipping away at the wall... They stop getting paid. Right. You know, you're not getting paid to walk back. Sure. I mean, you're not getting paid to walk. You're getting paid to work. Yeah. Right. And you made such shit wages, and the company retained several of it for benefits and things. Yeah. Several, a lot of your money for benefits and things. So, like, you would go home, have like six hours to rinse off or not, <laughs> sleep, get back up, and do it all again the next day with no hope of ever advancing and a high risk of death. Yes. Um. Wow. Yeah, the first couple chapters of Road to Wigan Pier. That's as far as I am so far, but Jesus Christ, I can't... Mm, mm. Ah, Those were working conditions back yeah, then. Yeah, that's a horrifying. <laughs> yeah, awful. Yeah. Yeah, and kind of like what you said earlier, um, how you were given housing by the company itself, is they, they controlled yes. you. And then what also happened, and there's a term for this, I forgot to write it down, but the town you lived in was completely run by the company, and all of the stores in the town were owned by the company and were company products. So all the money that you earned from working, you had to spend uh, on stores that were often artificially inflated by that company. So all the money just stayed within the company. They, own, they owned you, basically, in everything but name. And wow. you, you just, there was no, no way of escape. It was just horrible (laughs) yeah well you know it's i'm not making a direct comparison here but Mm -hmm. it's pretty i mean uh again i'm not making a direct comparison because it's clearly not the same thing but this kind of shit still goes on today i mean like you know but it comes in a different form it's like employee discounts or whatever if you buy your shit in this store like you get 10 percent off like when i was working at walmart that was the feeling Mm -hmm. And you had to stay there a certain number of, you know, months or whatever to get that discount. And when you finally got it, it was, like, coveted, mm, you know? Yeah. Um, but it felt like this weird little club, you know? Yeah, that is weird. Um, it was it was pretty bizarre, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, so it was just a rigged game um, if you were mm-hmm. a minor. Yeah. Uh, so to make matters worse, the UMWA during this time started to become super corrupt. So just think of that, like... You're a minor, and your only hope is the union, and then they're corrupt. <laughs> well, that's freaking life, yeah, man. Yeah. God damn it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of a lot of the leaders of the UMWA started to hoard a lot of money, and they would even make deals with the leaders of the coal industry in order to just line their own pockets. Uh, so the miners get pissed off, and they call for an. <sighs> There's no such thing as a pure revolution, is no, there? no. That's a good good way of putting it. Because I mean, because well, I've complained a lot about communism on here, mainly mm-hmm. just in the in the sense that, like, well, you're basically making yourself a target for corruption and tyranny, yeah, uh, by instituting such a system. But it's like this is the same thing that's going on here a little bit, yeah, where it's like you're you're taking advantage of people who really actually need help are actually getting squished yeah. underneath capitalism, mm-hmm. and 
it's like it's the same shit different day under a different name but it's like it's it's sort of like greed is ever present no matter what society you're in I absolutely think. like i mean because i rail against communism a lot but there's a lot of fucking problems with capitalism as true. well um and yeah i mean it's not like i've I, uh, stories like this mm-hmm. really really help me keep from like going like any system is great because yeah the fact is that there are fucked up people in systems. Yeah, exactly. Capitalism, you know, on its surface, if you look at it, it's like, oh, it's competition all the time and people are trying to do better than the the other. And if they provide bad services or they're bad to their employees, they'll die. Mm-hmm. And it's like sometimes that happens. Yeah. And sometimes it takes 50 years. Yeah. Well, the bane of capitalism is monopolies. Um, yeah. As, as a lot of people have said. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Because then we're... I'm looking at you, Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well. uh, anyway. Anyway. Okay. Uh, so the miners are they're getting pissed that their that their union is so corrupt. So they they call for an election to bring in new u- union leaders, and our boy Bill Blizzard gets elected at 19 years of age to help lead the UMWA. And it's basically well, shit. Yeah. It's basically him along with two other guys who now lead the entire union. And Bill was ready for a fight. Uh, He and his two partners start building up the union, get the support of Governor Hatfield at the time, and demand to be recognized by the coal operators. And things actually go kind of well. Um, Surprisingly, yeah. (laughs) So the coal operators acknowledge the existence of the union and even agree to some of the demands put forth. Hurrah! And Good. I'm not. I'm not joking. Yeah, uh, but Bill Blizzard isn't happy with this. He demands mm. more. Uh, like what? Well, just more recognition. More, you know, fill in the blank. More, more help to the actual miners because right. it started out like the companies weren't even acknowledging the existence of the union, other than <laughs> if you're a part of it, we're gonna beat your ass, maybe even kill your ass. No. And he's like, no, there needs to be dialogue between us. You need to listen to what the workers say. Um, yes. Yeah, and so now there, there is a little bit more of that, um, which is good. The problem is, is that Bill Burr is not an advocate for peaceful protest. Bill Burr, Bill Burr. come on. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, I was listening to his podcast today. <laughs> what do you think of his podcast? Um, I, did, I haven't listened to much of it, but the part I, I did hear, I, I, it was pretty funny. Oh, good. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. Bill Burr is not an advocate of peaceful protesting. You heard it here first. <laughs> so Bill Blizzard is not an advocate yeah, of peaceful like protesting. Yeah, like Bill Burr, Bill Blizzard is not an advocate of peaceful protesting. Um, he, gotcha. he thinks violence is the best way um, to get shit done. And his confidence and aggression starts to get him a lot of support from the mining community. Uh, because many... I bet. Yeah, many of them are looking at this like, okay, finally we've got a guy who's willing to do something about it, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yep. We've seen this a million times. Uh, unfortunately, this means that things only start to get worse between the coal industry and the workers. Tensions start to rise again, and the union demands more and more, and the industry thinks it's already conceded too much. So, right. tensions con- continue to rise, and actual fights break out in a few places. Uh, Not surprised. No, the the battle. It's called the Battle of Matawan or Matewan in May of 1920. Happens between coal miners and a couple private detectives who are hired by the coal companies. 
and this results in a few deaths on both sides, and uh, also both sides use this as a rallying call against the other faction. So it's just not good. Continues to yeah. get worse. So the coal industry uh, prepared... Hey, about what year is this? This is in 1920. Jesus. Yeah, so really not not too long ago. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering if uh if uh if communism was sort of becoming a thing. Well, it definitely was um, in Russia at this time. I know. Right. Yeah, there were there were socialist and marxist um, ideas being circulated in in America at this time for sure. Right. I, I mean, America wasn't impervious to Marx. No. Um, uh, I know a lot of times it's under the title of popular lit, popularist, um, so you had leaders going by that name, um, because they were for the people, the, the popularity, or I guess, I don't know. Um, right, yeah, okay. Uh, so the coal industries, they are, they're hiring private detectives, uh, most notably from the Baldwin Felt Detective Agency, um, uh, basically like Pinkertons, um, who we talked okay. in the, the Henry Frick episode, um. They're like privatized soldiers. Uh, but they're also getting the help of local government police forces on their side. So you've got oh, private detectives and the police force uh, protecting the, the companies. And then on the other hand, the miners began to secretly and not so secretly to gather as much food, weapons, and ammunition as they could. So it's just a clusterfuck. Um, in some regions, martial law and private detectives basically ran a police state. And in other regions, the miners actually had control uh, of the area and started posting sentries and patrols to protect their territory. So you've got these just the, this breakdown of factions and now territory. It's not looking good. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm just like wrapping my mind okay. around it. Uh, so thankfully at this time, some union members had a better idea, and uh, a huge minor march was organized to go to the capital of West Virginia, a peaceful protest, basically, and to place their union demands before the governor, Governor Morgan. Uh, so the miners did this, and uh, Governor Morgan refused their demands. I knew it. Yep. Yeah. So now, yeah. So now right. not even the government's willing to help them. So... Wow. Meanwhile, talk among the strikers begins to stir, uh, and they're thinking about marching over and rescuing their fellow mining brothers who are living in those corporate police states, right? Because mm. it's just, eh, it's such a mess. So right. soon enough, miners start grabbing their guns and gathering together, um, and basically this like makeshift army or militia. And then more armed miners show up. Okay, And here we then go. more do. Then even miners from other counties are showing up. In one case, guys from miles and miles away hijack a freight train, uh, take it all the way to this area just to join, just to join the party. Damn, yeah. that's kind of amazing. It, it is. <laughs> wow. Okay. All in all, an estimated thirteen thousand armed and angry miners congregate. Uh, and at this point, there's really no union leadership. It's just a mob forming. Um, right. Mother Jones, that Gandalf unionist woman I, I mentioned earlier, uh, yeah. she shows up hoping to prevent any violence from, from breaking out. And she claims she has a letter straight from President Harding that says that the president is on their side and will make everything okay. Oh, oh, okay. Mm. Mm. 
So they, they grab the letter, they read it, and they're like, this is a fake. This is a fake letter, and Mother Jones is commanded to leave, um, which is unfortunate. Shit, so she was trying to disarm it, yeah. the whole thing, with a lie. Yeah, exactly. Which is, it just, it's a noble cause, um, because <laughs> she doesn't want violence. <laughs> Right, yeah. right. But also, it's not really going to solve anything. It's just sort of pushing the the, the problem back. Yeah, it's the inevitable at this point. Um, mm-hmm. So who is left to lead this motley crew of angry armed miners? Our boy, Bill Blizzard. Uh, because basically, he was the only one hot-headed and loud enough to actually gain some sort of leader presence. Again, yep. it, you need him. Yeah. Again, it's pretty much a mob, but he's pretty much the leader of it not completely because it's hard to keep track of thirteen thousand people but basically the leader um meanwhile though the coal industry was gathering their forces uh the defense was put into the hands of anti-union sheriff chafin i think his name is so sheriff chafin is put in charge of the defense <laughs> the chafin sheriff yep <laughs> and he's rub-a-dub-dub <laughs> Yeah, rubber ducks. That's that's it. Yep. Um, yep. So the sheriff is given the funds by the companies to organize a defense force that included almost 2,000 private detectives and policemen, uh, all heavily armed, of course. So right. Versus 13,000. Yeah, somewhat armed. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, so on August 25th, 1921, the miners begin their march towards the area controlled by the coal industry. Uh, and scouts from the minor army actually reach the defenses, and uh, several shots are fired for a couple days. So, over in the White House, President Warren Harding <laughs> hears of this, and he's just pissed at everybody. Uh, because there's basically a freaking war breaking out in West Virginia. So, <laughs> he gets on the phone, and he says to both sides... Look, you better work this out, or I'm going to send in the army and some bombers uh, to keep the peace. (laughs) Jesus. Wow. Um, Hey. Oh. What? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just having such mixed feelings about all of this. I know. You don't want to join any side. No. Uh, It's also such a clusterfuck. So, so thankfully, after Harding did this, uh, the unionists and the companies, they agree to meet with each other. And a ceasefire is agreed upon, and the armed miners begin to return to their homes. Uh, but before this makeshift army fully disbands, rumor starts to spread that Sheriff Chafin and his men were off murdering union supporters and even women and children who had been caught up in the, in the crossfire. Now, oh... Whether or not... Rumors. Yeah, whether or not these rumors were true, I wasn't able to find, but I don't think so. I think it was just a rumor that, you know, among a bunch of hot-headed miners, just gained a lot of traction immediately. Uh, But at the same time, Sheriff Chafin was disappointed that there wasn't a fight. So, who knows? He might have, but I I couldn't find any records of any any murder. Wait, he was disappointed he didn't have to put down a rebellion? Yeah, he was mad that there wasn't any fight. Oh, God. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, this is... Everyone's at fault. Um, Okay, so this rumor goes on, and all hell breaks loose. The Unionist army immediately reassembles and demands retribution. And our dude, Bill Blizzard, accepts their demands for war, and so the miners are once again marching towards the police and detective encampments on a mountain, uh, Blair Mountain. So, 
it's not good. Okay. Uh, several freight trains are commandeered by the strikers to help mobilize the whole army. So now it's just like there's no industry going on. You've got all these armed miners approaching. The infrastructure a is it's not being, there. Yeah, yeah, it's being hijacked in in this cause of war. Yeah. Right. Wow. Okay. Yep. Um, now this this part is actually pretty cool. Uh, so the miners uh, they tie red bandanas around their necks to distinguish friend from foe, which is smart. Um, hmm. Have you ever wondered where the term redneck comes from? It most oh likely comes from this, which is really yeah the red bandanas around their neck, which is super Holy interesting. Shit. Yeah. Well, because we use it as a pejorative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's marking unintelligence and, you know, backwoodsedry like or Like working whatever. class scum, basically. <laughs> yeah. I thought redneck meant, like, your the back of your neck was burnt because you, you know, were outside all yeah, the time. Yeah, me too. That was my feel. Yeah. But redneck is actually, like, a pejorative from, it, from on high toward exactly. the working class. It's still a classist Holy propaganda fuck. term that we use today. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah. I can't believe that. It's I'll crazy. never say it again. No. Holy shit. Yeah. So you got these redneck. these rednecks, thirteen thousand rednecks uh, attacking the the corporate army and the policemen, and it, it's called the Battle of Blair Mountain. <laughs> it's got a battle name, and it's just a shit show. So here you go. You've got like 13,000 angry armed miners with Bill Blizzard barely keeping control of this motley lot. Then you've got the United States military hastily on their way trying to get there in time in order to prevent any fighting from happening. Then you've got Sheriff Chafin with 2,000 heavily armed detectives and policemen fortified on a mountain. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. And Sheriff Chafin also has several planes and bombs and toxic gas left over from World War One. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so the beginning of the battle starts with these corporate privatized military planes flying over the approaching horde of miners and just chucking bombs at them from on high. <laughs> Holy <laughs> Meanwhile, some U.S. military bombers show up at the scene in order to survey the area and find, like, what the fuck is going on. Yeah. But through the confusion, one of these military bombers crashes and kills the three guys on board. So there's just confusion everywhere. Ugh. Through the confusion, God. the, the mine- And you're on the ground, staring at this- giant mountain there's planes flying overhead and falling from the sky yeah. <laughs> and and then picture it like wow. you're a private eye like you're one of the the pinkerton guy not that i pinkertons but you're one of the privatized detectives in a plane and <laughs> there's like bombers flying in all directions they're being one of them crashes out of the sky you're dropping bombs on miners it's just what the hell is going on uh, through the I can't believe we don't talk about this. More. I know it's yeah it's the what, what was the the Battle of Blair Mountain? Yeah, yeah. class warfare like actual warfare in the United States. Yeah, in 1920. 21. Yep. 
Oh my god. Yeah, so through the confusion of the cells, someone yells, charge, and the miners charge the fortified positions on the mountains. And there's, it's just a, a total gunfight, right? Um, wow. It goes on all day. Finally, night falls, and both sides retreat. And then the National Guard finally shows up to keep both sides from going at each other. Uh, the problem is, is that there's a lot of people are afraid that the miners are just going to start firing at the National Guard. Because, you know, they want the blood of the, the corporate soldiers and the National Guard's in the way, so... Uh, who knows? It's it's scary. Right, and the government, I mean, you would be angry at the government forces, especially because the government was supposed to keep control of these goddamn monopolies. Right, oh, right? for that sure. That was the expectation. Yeah, absolutely. Like, we'll do capitalism, you know, as long as you promise not to let them fucking murder us yeah. and take everything from yeah. us and treat us like slaves. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah. Well, and... I'm mad at them, too. And, and the minor army is... It's not an army. It's just a mob. I mean, Bill Blizzard is basically keeping a hold on things. Um, so there's a lot of fear uh, that just all-out war between these three factions at the foot of the mountain is going to break out. Thankfully, though, this doesn't happen. Uh, what, what happens is that most of these miners realize that a lot of... The, the policemen and a lot of the National Guard soldiers, uh, they fought hand-in-hand hand with in World War One. These were these were former oh. comrades just, you know, seven years earlier, or less than that, three years earlier. Um, so thankfully, they, they're all like, okay, we're all Americans, we're not going to fight the National Guard. <laughs> right. So <laughs> the battle is is halted at this point. There, there are a few shots here and there that break out um, between the various factions, but the Battle of Blair Mountain is over. And Bill Blizzard basically tells his army to disband and go home because the battle is pretty much lost, the feds were here, and he didn't want to lose any more guys. Um, so the miners started their walks home. But get this. <laughs> oh, God. The miners knew that their guns would now probably be confiscated by the government, so they started hiding their firearms in random places in the countryside on their, on their walks back home. We are still finding these hidden guns today. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, along the same routes that these miners took. We find these, wow. these rifles and shit in, like, old tree trunks or under boulders or in caves. It's crazy. Um, we're still finding them. So, that's amazing. Uh, as far as the Battle of Blair Mountain goes, though, it was a resounding corporate and detective victory. The coal miners lost m maybe about a hundred guys. We don't really know, but it was like eighty to a hundred dudes murdered, um, with many more wounded. While the detectives lost only between twenty and thirty dudes. Uh, further, Shit. almost a thousand miners were arrested and charged with murder conspiracy to commit murder, accessory to murder, and treason against the state of West Virginia. Um, Shit, that's hanging stuff right oh, there. Oh yeah, it's not good stuff. And Bill Blizzard was among those arrested because, uh, well, he was basically the leader. And in fact, when he was confronted and asked if he was the leader of this minor army, uh, Bill responded, What army? I guess the boys will listen to me, alright. So, kind of... Wow. Yeah, he was he was behind it, sort of. Or at least took control. Uh, however, for good for Bill Blizzard is that he, while he was in court, some of the other miners brought in a bomb that the detectives had dropped from an airplane during the battle. 
Uh, the bomb had not detonated. So the miners presented this active bomb in court <laughs> as evidence of how brutal and horrible the coal industry was to its workers. And thankfully, Bill Blizzard was acquitted of his treason because the judges just felt so bad for him and his mission. And they were yeah. like, yeah, you can't drop bombs on your fellow citizens, uh, even if it is technically treason. Um, as, wow. As for the miners, though, this loss at Blair Mountain was not good. The coal industry used this insurrection as justification to slam down harder on the miners. The UMWA, meanwhile, suffered a terrible loss in membership. Union members decreased from 50,000 to 10,000. Uh, and this, the mining union would not regain its strength until like the mid-1930s. So, not a good day for, the, for any union, really. Um, yeah. However, what was good is that the battle woke up America, and especially Congress, to the horrendous situation that the miners and other working class citizens were enduring. Um, basically, there's all-out war breaking out. Um, this right. is class warfare actually becoming warfare. Uh, so this eventually started discussion and eventual legislature that would help the miners and the working class uh, in the 1930s. So it was a loss, but it, it did help the working class eventually. Um, and that's the Battle of Blair Mountain. Ah, wow. What a story. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Damn. So that's that's pretty much all I had for Bill Blizzard's adult life. Wow. Well, I... Every time I hear a story like that, I'm like, damn, I've never had to take up a gun to go up against my employer. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, we're lucky to live in the time that we are, even though, you know, there's, there are always complaints that can be made, but damn. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, God, corruption unchecked in any system yes. uh, leads to shit like this. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, um, and I, I don't know if there's ever getting rid of corruption altogether, mm -hmm. but it, I think if you if you don't at least, like, address it as much as you can, yeah. you're setting yourself up for this kind of shit. Oh, for sure. Um, and the problem with corruption is, like, you might be the one going after corruption, and then the corruption comes to you and says, hey, if you stop coming after us, yeah. we'll let you have a piece of the pie. And we won't kill your family or something. Yeah. And so you're like, all right, and then you make it bigger. Yeah. And yeah, shit, that sucks. I I think through, and we've we've talked about all sorts of these, you know, revolutions and battles between classes and governments and whatnot. I think where I I've come to, and I have no idea what this looks like. Um, but I, I think the best type of society, hypothetically, would be a society in which like the big four. The government, the citizens, the corporations, and the religious structures, the big four entities of a society, when they are all keeping one another in check, I think that's the best, you know, recipe for freedom. Um, and when one of those structures gains the upper hand, that's when you get, when you get shit, um... When yeah. You get all sorts of horrible, well, genocide and and war. Um, and I I think we need all four of those structures. Maybe. Um, yeah, I don't know. 
that's kind of what I'm just I'm just thinking. Like, if the government's left unchecked, you get you get Mao, you get Stalin, you get horrible things like that. If the corporations are left unchecked, you, you've just got you know slavery and serfdom. If you've got the people uh, unchecked, you've got anarchy, and if you got if you have religion unchecked, you've got theocracy, and none of those are ideal, right? Yeah. No. None of them are desirable. No, it's it's kind of like this this balancing act between four players, and probably right in the middle is where you want to be. <laughs> it's almost as if, well, I think I think another thing that you could add to that big four mm-hmm. is education. Right. Um, because education sort of essentially trains people up to be whatever it wants them to be, and if it's not training them up to be good, upstanding citizens who care about one another and especially it for the for the um the upper class types mm-hmm. like i feel like they need more than anything like an understanding um of what it's mm-hmm. like to not be upper class um and <clears throat> well that's i'm just thinking out loud here i'm not saying that's prescriptive yeah but my my thought is like if we could if if you don't get education right with with regards to all classes right and you don't get it right with regards to principle. Like, if it was, if everybody just believed on principle that, you know, you should never exploit another human being. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, if we could just get people to sort of almost like, and this is going to sound really, really lame, but like, if we could get people to almost believe in the important, the concept of the soul again, mm. inherent worth. Um, yeah. And trespass against that is like the greatest evil. Like, if, if a principle like that were put into place, and I may be wrong, but sure. a principle like that put into place, I feel like a lot of this stuff would be... At know, least harder to, to come upon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause, well, because that's the, that's the problem with all these extremes, is it's, it's dehumanizing. Um, you yeah. know, the working class, well, they're not really humans. Or uh, the non-believers, they're not really humans. Or the non-Germans, they're not really humans. Or, or, or whatever. Uh, yep. Or or the rich, the rich are not humans, or, or who knows? Like, just fill in the blank are not humans, and that's where your problems begin. Yeah, and I think that's why the concept of evil is like. I think it's important. Yeah. Because that evil is a is a thing that can exist on any layer of society. Yeah. Can, because it's like not all rich people are bad. No. Um. Not all not all poor people are lazy. For Christ's right. sake, like. You hear that one a oh, lot. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's it's just that some people are more exploitative than others, and some people respect their neighbors so little. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we all live in the same neighborhood. You yeah. Know, you should take care of each other. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know. We'll f- I don't know. But we're figuring it out. Yeah, obviously on We Talk About Dead People, we're solving these major societal ills that have existed for millennia. Exactly. We will find all the answers <laughs> by the end of tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, and when we figure it out, here's what we're going to uh-huh. do, okay? We're going to put a new Patreon goal uh-huh. up, um, Or a tier, actually. Yes. If you give $1,000 to the podcast, <laughs> we'll tell you the meaning of all of this. Yes. We'll answer the question, what is truth? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, we'll solve society's ills. If you give us a thousand one dead That's person a promise. At a time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So speaking of dead people, mm. I think we need to go to Red Baron's end and death, don't you? So this would be the 
the the final part, the eating of the pizza portion. Yes, Perfect. this is the eating of the Red Baron pizza. Mm. Um. <laughs> so, um, you actually already know how this story ends because okay. um, everybody on this show dies. <laughs> <laughs> Richthofen takes off on the 21st of April, 1918, and flies along the Somme. Mm-hmm. Before long, he's in hot pursuit of a Sopwith camel, reportedly flying at an unusually low altitude, um, because this particular Sopwith camel had just attacked the Red Baron's cousin, ah. who was also in the Flying Circus. So Richthofen's like, can't have that shit, so he chases after yeah. him. And out of nowhere, some Canadian pilot named Roy Brown <laughs> <clears throat> attempts to intervene with... Uh, this intervention. (laughs) And then, in all the chaos, a three oh three bullet struck Richthofen right through the chest. Um, Both his lungs and his heart were horribly damaged um, because it's a three oh three, right? So he had enough time to put his plane down in a field, at which point a bunch of Australian medics ran up to the plane. Mm. Uh, And when they reached the plane, he was saying something like, all is kaput. Mm -hmm. So all is lost or something. We're not actually sure what he said. There's a lot of controversy about his last words, but most of them just involve kaput. Mm. Uh, And then he just goes unconscious and dies right there in his plane. (laughs) Now here's where things get interesting. It turns out we don't actually know who killed the Red Baron. Mm. The RAF originally credited the the kill to the Canadian guy named Roy Brown, Um, but after further investigation, it was discerned that the Red Baron was most likely killed by a bullet not from Roy Brown, not from the Air Force, not from a plane at all. (laughs) The shot is believed to have come from the ground, fired by Sergeant Cedric Popkin. Uh, There are other theories, but this one appears to be the most widely accepted nowadays. So, what what did he fire? So, he was using a machine gun. Um, He was an anti-air gunner, um, but he was given a... I think a Maxim gun or whatever mm-hmm. the fuck. Um, and the Red Baron was strafing him, hmm. um, just bla- blazing by, firing his machine guns at him, trying to take him out. Yeah. Um, and the first time he flew by, Popkin fired back. Nothing happened. The second time he flew by, he was in combat with this guy, and Popkin was like, fuck you, and <laughs> shot him. <laughs> wow. So there you go. Um, and here's where we get to that whole knightliness thing. Mm-hmm. Um it, but by the way, the uh, Popkin theory is the one that's most widely accepted, wow. just so you know. Um, hmm. So yeah, so the Allied officers, out of their great respect for this worthy opponent, organized a military funeral uh, and buried Richthofen in a cemetery near Amiens. Huh. Amiens. Yeah. <clears throat> so six officers um, from the British Army, I believe, were assigned to be his pallbearers, hmm. and they took the duty on with great reverence. That's awesome. There was an, there was an honor guard that fired a salute. Um, the men at the funeral also placed wreaths and garlands and all kinds of shit like that on his gravestone, one of which read, To our gallant and worthy foe. Isn't that kind of touching? It's awesome, yeah. Yeah. Respect in war. Mm -hmm. Like, our countries may be fighting, but we don't have to hate each other. Right. Uh, Interesting, interesting concept. Um, So, here's the other thing, is his body was reinterred again and again, because he was now a German hero. Right. Uh, and of course, it ended up in Berlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and years after that, the Third Reich oh held a huge memorial ceremony graveside, huh. um, and they put up an even bigger monument engraved with just the name Richthofen. Uh. I kind of hate this because they're taking yeah. this guy and saying he was a Nazi just like us, and it's like, nah, he didn't even know about Nazism. Yeah. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't like that either. Like, <laughs> 
that's it's it's like in court like stealing who he was and like putting it up for your cause yeah. which you know your disgusting nazi cause yeah not cool with that no thank you right um and in the cold war uh after you know the third Reich mm-hmm. fell or whatever uh his tombstone got shot up <laughs> um when a couple of people were trying to escape from east germany Jeez. uh and finally, in 1975, Richthofen was moved to his family plot in Wiesbaden. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and that's that. And that's where he lies today. Wow. Well, I'm glad he ended up in his family plot. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And got out of France. Even in death. You <laughs> gotta get out of France. <laughs> Don't want to be there. No. Yeah. So, uh, Bill Burr. Bill Burr. How did Bill Burr die? <laughs> Bill Blizzard. Uh, after the Battle of Blair Mountain, things did not go too well for for Bill Blizzard. He was kicked out of the UMWA because the other leaders had opposed the battle, while Bill had just gone and gone on ahead with it anyway. Um, gotcha. Uh, however, this did not stop Bill from fighting for the rights of miners. And in 1933, a few years later, he was given his job back with the UMWA. However, a couple years later, hot-headed Bill got in a fist fight with another union leader and was ousted from the UMWA once and for all. Uh, he eventually Damn. retired in 1955 to a farm and died three years later in 1958 at the age of 65. And that's Damn. pretty much it. Yeah. That is a life of struggle. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and good things happened for the working class because of the, the Battle of Blair Mountain. But it's like you said; it's just crazy that we don't hear about these actual battles um, that took place yeah, between corporations and their employees. Yeah, mm. and interestingly enough, uh, a few months ago, I was looking at at like the top massacres in the United States because I am depressed, uh, and <laughs> of course, most of the massacres are against Native Americans. But a lot of horrible massacres were basically just, you know detective agencies or policemen just mowing down union strikers uh that we never hear about um they're total massacres so it's yeah it's just interesting that shit ain't cool man no no Mm -mm. it's got to be cool as a blizzard (laughs) all right i'm out of steam shall we head to the surface let's head to the surface off we go Aaron, yeah. What are you going to do for the rest of your day? I'm gonna thank my lucky stars I didn't live in World War One or 1920s mm. America. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. What are you gonna do? Well, I'm gonna play hopscotch and oh, sing a riddle. Can you sing me a riddle mm. now? Uh, since you insist, yes. All right. Uh, the days of the twenties were filled with pain. You sat on your corner, looking out the window pane. <laughs> the corporations—they sat on your head. Sometimes you'd even end up dead. But thankfully, there was no war. Because war is such a bore, 
Actually, there was a war. <laughs> it was a class war. The worst kind of war that's not true either. Hopscotch is boring. <laughs> Why am I playing? Okay, I'm done. That wasn't even a riddle. <laughs> that's the riddle. It's <laughs> <laughs> the riddle. It's not yeah. a riddle. Very yeah. good. Mm-hmm. You're cleverer than I give you credit for, sir. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, I think it's time to bring the show to an end for today. Feel free to send all your hate tweets to WTADP Podcast. We will read all of them and not along. If you hate us, you are probably right. If you like us, though, please consider funding the show by becoming a patron on Patreon.com. Join the club. Join the Golden Horde. That's Patreon.com slash We Talk About Dead People. 50 bucks is awesome. 20 bucks is awesome, too. Even as little as a dollar, as much as it costs to press the working class. (laughs) Shit. Helps tremendously. Our cover art was created by the extremely gifted Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his phenomenal work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. With all that being said, we'll close out and let the sound of what play us out, James? A World War One dogfight. Fuck yeah. Aaron, do you see the enemy? I see them, James. Now, there's the enemy. Shoot, fool, shoot. All right. Kapow, pow, pow. Stop reading your Batman comics out loud and shoot at the enemy. All right. Bang, bang. It's Johnny Law. (laughs) What are you saying back there? I'm shooting the bad guys. Wait, who are you shooting at? They're the... They're the, uh, the big mob down there with the red necks, right? No, you fool! Those are the... Well, they're not the good guys, but they're not the bad guys either. Shoot at the bad guys! But who are the bad guys, James? The bad guys live in all of us. It's a monster that we have to keep from erupting out of our tonsils. <laughs> so shoot us! Shoot us! I can't aim the gun at myself, James! And I'll just have to crash into this cream cheese factory. Wait, hold up. The best way to go out. What? Before you crash us, there's a guy following us. Ooh, on foot? No, he's he's flying. Wow, on a he's fly- he's, oh, that yeah, guy. He's like T-posing right behind us. That's not good. Shall I shoot him? Good, all right, now let's go into the screen cheese factory and be done with it, because this is getting right, fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Take us in, James. <laughs> That's why they always say, we scream for cream cheese. <laughs> Famous last yep. word. <laughs> All right, I'm hitting yep. stop.
I see a thousand dreams.